Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, and the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, 
and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions." So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. May God add his blessing to that reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as Daniel himself did, though he was full of wisdom, though he was granted particularly to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to know the truth. Yet, Lord, he needed to seek the Lord, that he might know even the reality, the interpretation of the revelation that was given to him. And so, Lord, we who are much lesser have the much greater need to come before you that we might understand the truth of these things that are given to us. And we pray, indeed, you would open supernaturally our minds and our hearts to receive these things. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. This evening we are in this chapter, Daniel chapter 6, and here we find Daniel as an old man, now serving a different king, Darius the Mede. Now as we are very convinced of, so Darius was, that Daniel is an extraordinarily gifted leader and administrator. And in Darius's wisdom, as a wise king, not only did he appoint him as one of the three highest overseers of the, the kingdom, He has plans to elevate him to be the highest next to himself. But of course, there would have been men of Darius' own people or association that were expecting to have such an honor given to them. And they would not have been pleased to find this old Jew a holdover from the previous regime given preference over themselves. And so they look for something to accuse Daniel with. Finding nothing on him, because of his holiness, because of his, his ability and his faithfulness, finding nothing like that, they have to decide to go after the one weak spot that they think that he has. There's an irony there, of course. The one weak spot which they think that he has is his devout faith in the living God. And this is a background then for the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But as usual, there is far more Behind this, there is far more that is being taught than the mere events here. We are finding out something about God. We are finding out something about ourselves. That is what all of Scripture is about. That is what this is about here. And once again, there is a repeated key word in this chapter. It is to deliver. More than once, actually, on the lips of Darius, more so than on Daniel. Deliver, to rescue, to save. And what we find out, what is being taught, what is being proclaimed, particularly, by the way, at the end, when he makes his proclamation again to the entire kingdom, that everyone might know these things, is that the true God, the Lord God, is able to deliver his own people. 
This is the central line. The whole scope of the work of redemption throughout Scripture and on into church history, this is what it is all about. In the Exodus, Exodus 14, the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. The conquest of Canaan in Numbers 10. The Lord your God, you will be saved from your enemies. When the the nation, the, the monarchy under Judah, you remember that wonderful situation under Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 32, the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. And so he returned shamefaced to his own land. When he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down and killed him. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. And guided them on the other side. That is what the, the end result is, the moral. What is the moral of the story of all those, the books of history in the Old Testament? The moral of the story is that the Lord is able to save his own people. And that's the central line of the book of Daniel. You recall the very similar situation in Daniel 3. And in very many ways, these are parallels. And I would just actually point to you the, the parallel. And as you consider them, you think of what is similar and what is different between them. Of course, in Daniel 3, it's the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and not Daniel. Here it's Daniel, not the three friends. And there the, it, the, the king is the one who has set himself against But in here, actually, the king is the friend of Daniel. So other than that, though, there are remarkable, remarkable parallels. We have the situation of the uh, fire furnace. And he said in Daniel 3, If you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fire furnace. And he asked the question, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Very much the opposite of the words of King Darius, who proclaims very freely, yes, your God is able to deliver you, Daniel. And by the way, first I should say, he tries very hard to deliver Daniel. He tries on his own strength to do this, but he fails. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. But at last, he must resign himself to that which Daniel is so utterly, completely confident. At this point, he barely needs to say it. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And he does so in miraculous fashion. And this reminds us, this confirms once again that the Lord is able and willing to deliver his own. Now, for us, of course, we know this. We must know this about the living God. And what it reminds us is the the great question in our life is on what side of that great divide, the Lord's or not the Lord's, the covenant people or the world, what side of that divide are we on? And if we are on the side of the Lord's, if we are his people, then we are in very safe hands indeed. Well, let me then speak to you this sermon The title is, The Lord Delivers His Own, with these four points, the identification, the threat, the failure, the rescue. The identification, the threat, the failure, the rescue. The first point, the identification. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. 
over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that, he, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought, gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, what we're considering in this first point is how it is that Daniel identified himself. How it is that the world around him could possibly know that Daniel was one of the Lord's people. And I would say that, A, notice that Daniel was utterly faithful in his life and work. It was not merely that Daniel was not guilty of some great crime. He was not guilty of taking bribes or of embezzling the king's money. It was that his work record was utterly unimpeachable. That's what brought Daniel to prominence, is what qualified Daniel to be a witness for God in this way. Because had they find, found some legitimate complaint against him, they would have used that, and that would have been the end of it. And there would have been, therefore, no opportunity for God to glorify himself in this. But B, I would say, what is the explanation of that excellence and that identification? There's an explanation. We know that in his youth, in chapter 1, the ultimate explanation that we could find for these things is God, who enabled him to do those things so faithfully. And in verse 3, we have the particular explanation here, because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, I well recognize that the, letter, the, the uh, translation in your Bibles has spirit with a, a lowercase s, but it need not be. It is precisely the same letter that is elsewhere, uh, the same word that is elsewhere translated spirit with a big S. And I think it is absolutely clear by this point that the spirit of the living God is in Daniel. The Holy Spirit indwells him, and that is why he is so wise, that is why he is so able, that is why he is so capable, and that is why he is so faithful. There is no other explanation. We've had it said in plain words previous in this book. And so we can be certain that the reason why he is that way is because he is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But that itself, you see, is the mark, is the seal of one who is of God's. You see, one of the things as we look at the great scope of redemptive history, it is the saga of the sealing and of the marking. You know, you remember that from the, the, the sermons in Revelation, a series there? All those who follow the beast receive his mark. They have the mark of the beast. They are marked out as those who worship the beast. And on the other hand, the world remains. It it cannot be destroyed. The Lord commands the angels not who are prepared for that task. You may not destroy this world until we finish sealing the servants of the living God. And what is that seal that is set upon them? Well, ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit. That is the sealing of the believer. It is the putting of the final and ultimate mark internally, the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, externally, there's another mark as well in baptism, that the Lord externally and visibly marks out his own people in that external way, but it is pointing to the internal reality of having the Holy Spirit. Now, Daniel was certainly one of the covenant people, and he had the Old Testament equivalent of baptism and circumcision, and he also had the internal um, uh, greater point of this, the greater sign of this, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then beyond that sea, Daniel identifies himself as the Lord's in his worship. So in his life, in the reality of how he is sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then see, he identifies himself as the Lord in his worship and his religious devotions. 
That's the way the enemies had something on him. We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And here they mean prayer. That's what they're talking about, the law of his God. They mean his religious devotion. They mean that what he, what he does in terms of his service of the living God. Now, I'd say, incidentally, that, brothers, if, you, if that could be said of you, then you're in good shape. If somebody could say to you, we're not going to find any charge against this person, this, this Christian, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God, well, that's, that's pretty good. I know there are those among us whose vocation has to do with religious liberty and the defense of those who are being persecuted. And sometimes their jobs are greatly complicated by the fact that the the Christian doesn't have such a flawless work record. And there are many other complications that might justify a dismissal or demotion or something like that. And that's not glorifying to God. That's just an aside. Maybe we'll say later in the application But Daniel identifies himself in his worship, in in the things that he does. uh, There's no other thing to have on him except that he has to worship God. And therein lies this vulnerability. So they think. Well, he identifies himself as as one of the living gods. That is uh, this identity. But second, there is now the threat against him. In verse 6, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, counselors and advisors, have consulted together. And I guess the king is taking it on faith that surely Daniel must have been included in this group. All of us have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, to have to understand this, we have to think, why is it that anyone would want or need to make a petition to any god or man? Because they, the answer is because there's a need. They have need of help. They need to be rescued from something. And the idea is that for one whole month, the only one they could turn to was a king themselves. Now, we know why those satraps and so forth had this idea. They wanted to bring Daniel down. Now, the question is, why would the king assent to such a request? And the answer is, unfortunately, because it flattered him. Because such an idea that, no, you can't call out to anyone else for help. The only source of help that you can have for any problem that you have is he himself is flattery to him in the extreme. It is the glorious prerogative of the greatest and most powerful sovereign to arrogate to himself the exclusive right of petition. And ultimately, of course, we know that this only rightly belongs to God himself. And no man should such a thing be That's incidentally what is so grossly wrong with Roman Catholic piety on this point. When you have this whole group, this whole spectrum of lesser saints and greater saints and Mary and Joseph to ask petitions, to what end? And to the end of the devaluing of the glory of Christ himself. Because God reserves for himself the right, the honor, the privilege to deal with these things, to be the one who saves us out of our trouble, to be the one that we resort to when we're in difficulty. God desires that we resort to him. It is to his glory and honor to do so. He can save when no one else can. And we should not take away from that great privilege and give that to another. Anyhow, their particular intention, as I said, in doing this and making this plan is to destroy the Lord's own, who is Daniel. And so they carry out their planned persecution of Daniel. They come and they, they look at, they spy on him. 
Now, Daniel remains true to form. He knows when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he wasn't ignorant of it, he wasn't just caught out. He knew that this writing was signed, he knew it was against him, and he changed nothing. He went home in the upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Did the same thing every day. Since early days, he continued as an old man the pattern which he had established as a young man. And young people, I'd particularly bring this to your attention. Do not think, do not think that virtue comes automatically with age. Do not think that merely growing old is going to make you better than what you are. No, actually, you become established in the trajectory that you set from an earlier time. Just as Uh, A tree, sometimes it has been bent in a great storm. It carries on growing bent in the trajectory it had as something young. So it is with us before the Lord. And if you intend to be a godly old man, you better intend to be a godly young man. And resolve, indeed, as we heard this morning, to that end. Well, the persecutors then complete the deal. They came before the Lord after they had their desired end and seen this evidence that Daniel continued to worship the Lord as he had always done, that Daniel, who is one of the captains, by the way, notice at this point they, they, they don't bother to use his old name. That's kind of been done away with by this point. He's established that much. This Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And they fully intend. What are they trying to do by this, by the way? Are they just trying to bring him down a little bit? No, they're trying to murder him. Keep that in mind. That when Satan comes against us, he is a murderer. And that is an intent. Each and every time that he brings something before us, his intent is to kill you. He's not just trying to bring you down a peg. If it is up to him, if he gets his way, he is trying to do what he did to our first parents, which is to murder them. Because they know that this would bring him to the lion's den. Now, I would just say in persecuting Daniel, by the way, they are persecuting the Lord. That was their mistake, you see. Daniel's just a man. Yes, he's a very holy and righteous man, but he's a sinner. And in some sense, they have, maybe theoretically, they have that. But in putting their finger on Daniel, they are putting their finger on one of the Lord's own people. And that is their fatal mistake. Remember... What is said in Acts chapter 9 in the conversion of Paul. As he, Saul, formerly known as, journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Do you see that identification? Do you see how the Lord says that inasmuch as you are persecuting one of my people, you are persecuting me? And he takes it personally. Well, that was the threat. This is the murderous threat that the enemies of the Lord bring before the Lord's own. But our third point is that man cannot Deliver. This is the failure, rather. Let's, let's call it the failure. The nature of the failure is that man cannot deliver him. 
We read in verse 14, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. As I mentioned, the king is on Daniel's side this time. He's been tricked by the satraps and he knows it and he is disappointed with himself for falling for it. And he is seeking earnestly to deliver him. So he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. That's no half-hearted attempt. This is no minor thing for him. This is the great king. He set his heart on doing this. He's working as hard as he can until the time ran out. But he couldn't do it. Because this, this part of the book, this part of the chapter is about a failure. Because even this king, in all of his power and all of his wisdom and all the authority that he has, he cannot do it. He fails to do it. Was not enough, you see. Because there was a fundamental problem somewhere that he could not fix. The fundamental problem which these persecutors gleefully point out to him, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which a king established may be changed. We got you there? That was the fundamental problem. That the king was himself subject to that law. He could not undo what he did. This very perfection of the law. It was an advance on previous civil law, in fact. This law of the Medes and Persians, which could not be changed. And which even the king himself could not undo. That was an advance. But even in the perfection of this law, it meant that no human being could save Daniel that day. This reminds us of something else, doesn't it? It's not just that no human being could save Daniel, it's that no human being can save any of us ultimately before God. And it is at the very perfection of the law which makes it impossible for that to be because no one is qualified to do that. You remember the closer kinsman in the story of Ruth, the closer kinsman. Well, if the closer kinsman can do it, then he will redeem you. But the closer kinsman was Adam. And Adam failed to do that. He could not keep the law of God. He fell. And so has all of his children, so have all of his descendants. And there's no human being that can save us whatsoever. There's no human help for Daniel. There's no human help for us. It is a failure. It is a story of utter failure. Man cannot deliver. But fourthly, and finally, we see that the Lord is able to deliver his people. In fact, Verse 16, the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your king, whom, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That's, an, that's a, a wonderful affirmation, a wonderful promise regarding the sovereignty of God. And the lips of the king Darius deliver his servant Daniel even from his own hand. Imagine saying that. He's the one, in essence, who assigned the death warrant. He didn't realize he was doing it, then he labored to undo it. And then he has to execute that sentence against his will, but he proclaims even as he, he does the deed, your God is able to save you even from my own hand. What a remarkable, remarkable proclamation. By the way, it says, your God whom you serve continually... Not sporadically, not intermittently, not occasionally, but continually. This was his observation of this man, Daniel, and had been the observation of everyone who ever knew Daniel. That he was a faithful servant of the living God, this one whom he serves continually. But you see, God 
is strong to save. And this proclamation, this word, this promise that was given, it would come true. As in verse 19, we see the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. It's amazing, the the faith of this king is almost more than what the disciples himself had on resurrection morning. They, They came, yes, they came early in the morning, but they came with the embalming kit in hand to embalm a dead body. This king at least came with a hopeful expectation that maybe when he called out, a voice would call back to him. He came to the den and cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, and now listen to the identification, servant of the living God, that's the basis of the hope, he's a servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Remarkable expression of faith and hope. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not heard me, because I was found innocent before him, and also, king, I have done no wrong before you. We see the rescue that was in the power of God to effect. Now, what was the manner of this rescue? I would say it is by Christ. Once again, for whatever reason, the word angel is in lowercase rather than uppercase. But once again, I assure you, the word is the very same that in other occasions is translated with an uppercase A. God sent his angel to rescue. God has done that before in the history of this nation, and God will do it again. His angel, of course, being the pre-incarnate form of the Son of God, who is the deliverer of his people. In fact, I would say very particularly that fourth man that was found in the fiery furnace, do you remember, in that parallel story? There was someone else in the fiery furnace with him, that one that looked like the Son of God. That was surely, again, this angel, the pre-incarnate Christ. And so once again, the Lord has sent his angel to rescue. That's the way, you see, the Lord rescues us. Sometimes we imagine that it is through some sort of very impersonal agency, but that is not the story of Scripture. Yes, the Lord is able supernaturally to rescue us in all sorts of ways, but the supreme and central way, the way that these all things point, is through Christ. He is the Redeemer. He is the one who is able to rescue the Lord's people, and it is the glory of God, the glory of Christ, the glory of the Holy Spirit, and that it is Christ who is particularly the deliverer of God's people. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his Bible. Yes, he he wrote in his Bible. And at this point, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, he wrote this regarding the little part, My God has sent his angel. The lion's den into which Daniel was cast was a type of the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar's burning fiery furnace. And that which seems principally typified by both is hell. The lions in this den are types of, of devils. And the angel of the Lord that came into the den amongst the lions to deliver Daniel from them was probably the same person that came into the burning fiery furnace to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames, which is the angel of the covenant, the Son of God. Christ, our good shepherd, was, as it were, thrown to the lions and encountered them and shut their mouths that they cannot devour us. And so it is true, as Christ effected the great rescue for his people, He was indeed thrown to the lions in order that the lions would have nothing wherewith to get the people of God to harm us. 
in that he, he took upon himself the wrath of God due to our, for our sin, there is nothing then left for us with regard to hell. No wrath that remains that can be done to us because he has shut the lion's mouth. Now that was the great agent of this rescue effort. It was Christ. But notice also it was through faith. Because this was the proclamation, this was the profession of, of Daniel himself. It was that he believed in God. He says... Daniel was taken, or rather it proclaims in verse 23, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him. Remember the the salvation as it was in the burning fire furnace is utterly complete. It's not a partial salvation. It's not a half salvation. It's a complete and total salvation. And it says, because he believed in his God. It was effected by Christ. But the reason why the, the, the instrument of that salvation was his faith in the living God. He believed in God. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. It's what this chapter is, is all about. It is precisely the gospel. God delivers us through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is salvation to be found in Christ alone. And that salvation comes to us through faith. We believe in him. Well, the obvious application, first of all, is to say that the very crucial thing is to be his. If all of this is true, if this is the way the Lord operates, if he is so willing and able to save his own, because that's the the point of the sermon, that the Lord rescues his own, then the crucial thing is that we've got to be his own. That's what it is. If, If Daniel had been, you know, what happens to the other ones who are not the Lord's own when they're thrown into that same din? Well, of course, their bones are broken in, in two. They are, they are crushed and destroyed before they even hit the bottom of the den. And the answer, what, what's the difference between them and Daniel? The difference is that Daniel belongs to the living God, is united in covenant to him through faith. And therefore, God is bound to save Daniel. He is bound covenantally to do this work for Daniel, those all who believe in him. And he is not so with others. And so the crucial thing in this life is to be one of God's people. We know, of course, that happens through faith as we become part of this covenant. It's a covenant of faith. All those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are joined to that covenant. If we've not already, then we receive the mark, the outward mark of of baptism. But most importantly, we receive the inward seal of the Holy Spirit. And we know that his spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are his. And one day that presence of the Holy Spirit will identify us indeed to the angels. They will know that we have this seal upon us and we will surely be saved. Well, the crucial thing is to be his. Secondly, I'd ask the question of of Christians, who do you call on when you're in trouble? I say this because the, the gauntlet is essentially thrown down. The world, the persecutors say, you better call on someone else besides God to rescue you. In fact, you're forbidden from calling on God to save you. This is, in essence, pretty much the strategy of the world, the flesh, and the devil in various ways. They are trying to get you to cry out to something else. They are trying to get you to resort to some other entity besides the living God. But you dare not listen. 
And particularly if you put your faith in God, don't fall for it again. Sometimes these things are, are, are particularly shown in when trials and temptations come our way. What is our first inclination? Who do we turn to in these times? Brothers and sisters, beloved, we must turn to the living God. He wants to show us that he is strong to save. That's his great desire that we might see experientially, that we might experience for ourselves that he is able to rescue us. His hand is, as it were, extended to us. And it is to his glory and for our good that we receive that hand in faith and we resort to him when we're in trouble. Hebrews 7.25 proclaims, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he, he always lives to make intercession for them. That's the great intercessory work of Christ right now. What is he doing? What is Christ doing? Yes, he's building his church. But he's doing it through the intercession that he makes as he's, he's there on the right hand of God the Father. He's making intercession for his people. Thirdly, I would exhort you to faithfulness in your vocation. As I've mentioned, this is the prerequisite. This is what qualifies Daniel for this great opportunity to glorify God in the first place. As I say, if you were not faithful, they would have simply turned him in for that, and that'd be a really very boring story, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have this wonderful chapter. It is because he is utterly faithful in his vocation. He does the things He does everything that he is asked of except to disobey God. And in this, he is qualified to greatly glorify God. Matthew Henry notes, It is an excellent thing and much for the glory of God when those who profess religion conduct themselves so inoffensively in their whole conversation that their most watchful, spiteful enemies may find no occasion of blaming them save only in the matters of their God in which they walk according to to their consciences. And this he's echoing and reiterating what is in 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Sometimes it's hard for us to carry on in the details and the arduous nature of the jobs that we are given. And we wonder how it could possibly be for the glory of God. I want you to know that you in some, I, I, I think that in most cases you are qualifying yourself for a particular day in your life in which you will glorify God by being faithful. And you will qualify your, yourself not on that day, but 20 years in the past and 19 years in the past and 18 years in the past and on and on and on living a life that is blameless, working in your vocation in a way that glorifies God as Daniel did throughout his entire life. And then the day comes where you're given that opportunity to glorify God. And that day, and through it the rest of your life, and maybe I don't mean to say this only happens once, perhaps there are many ways it happens. But what I mean to say is the principle, that it is that, those handful of moments actually that are to the eternal glory of God, that are the things that are worthy to be written down, as was in the case in Daniel. And therefore it gives meaning To every one of those minute details, which perhaps we think no one notices. This is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And fourthly and finally, rejoice. Rejoice. This is our God. 
If you have recently been in trouble, if you've recently been at the edge of a precipice, if you have been in a time of great trial or temptation or something like that, and you recognize that God is able to save you, then you're able to do what what Daniel did on that day. You're able to do what Darius was able to do on that day, which is to rejoice. You see the joy that is evident in this reception. As Darius says, it's true. This God is able to do that. And I want us to rejoice. We're not worshiping Baal. We have no reason to rejoice. We're not worshiping Allah. We're worshiping the living and true triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He is able to rescue us from each and every one of our troubles, and we ought to rejoice. We don't need to have long looks on our faces. We should have joy on them because He can and shall save all of His people. It is a wonderful thing to serve such a God. Deuteronomy 33.29 says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Happy are you, O Israel, O people of God, O church of God, that you serve such a God. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed a happy people. Indeed, we serve you. You have demonstrated that you are able to rescue your people. There is no other God who can do this, but you are able to rescue your own. We see that man fails in this. In every attempt, we cannot save ourselves and no one else can. We know that we will be persecuted. We know the world and the flesh, and particularly the devil, stand against us at all times. We seek to murder us. But Lord, you are a good and powerful God. And we pray that we'd have at least as much faith as this King Darius. That we might proclaim with our lips and know in our hearts that this God whom we serve, he is able to rescue us. And how, Lord, we pray that all would embrace him in faith. All would put their faith in him. And that, Lord, truly we would honor and obey you in every way in our vocations that would be blameless and in our devotional life we would be as Daniel as regular and as faithful and set these things from an early time in our lives and Lord that we'd have great joy knowing that we serve such a God who is able to rescue us from all that troubles us we pray this in Jesus name Amen